Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Hades of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka Go to War X NFTs. <laughs> Coming soon, probably. They're probably uh, fucking already out. I just haven't been following the newsletter. Each one is a little token of an album cover. And <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, I and you can, can tra- you well, can fucking um, trade them with each other, dude. It's great. <laughs> Dude, dude, is is fucking Reek of the Unzen Gas Fumes NFT got hacked? Um, I can't believe someone screenshotted my my Reek NFT fucking pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I am the Black Metal Guy, aka Skepticism Group Chat. Oh man, you know what? I bet it's I bet it's a lot more fun and memey than we would expect. Well, that's, yeah, I think that's, I think that's what we, based on, yeah, I mean, I think you and I expect that at this point, you know, after we've talked more about skepticism and about that last record. And and we've seen the interviews and stuff, and it's like, oh, these guys are just bro metalheads who are more sophisticated, you know. Yeah, they they, they (coughs) still like, they still like Moonspell. Um, And they, uh. Uh, yeah, no, I think it would be Mimi and fun. Um, and you know, I was just also thinking about that. I was came up with that cause I was just thinking about how long those guys have all known each other and been in the same band and how awesome that is. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's pretty remarkable. The, you know, the, the sheer longevity of that band, the amount of time, the amount of time, like the level of friendship must be off the charts. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I imagine, like, maybe at certain times, certain guys in the band are hanging out outside the band at different times or whatever, you know? Like, you know, maybe, like, two dudes live in the same region and they're, like, chilling more. But, like, you go through that for... Or, like, two dudes are, like, mildly annoyed at each other for some reason. You go through that for fucking 30 years and everyone is just so tight. Yeah, it's a that's like, that's more than I've liked anyone in my yeah, life. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. Um well, uh speaking of records, we've got a you know, we get like two or three of these a year uh, basically where we do the sellout episode where we cover like popular kind of like almost mainstream stuff. Don't tell them we were paid to do this by Metal Blade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what happened. Metal Blade thought that we were going to prop up a returning artist from 17 years ago on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, they sent us a $10,000 check to do it. Yeah, that was the whole recording advance, actually. Really fucked over the bands, but hopefully we'll be able to, <laughs> oh, God. We'll be able to make that back for them in, in record sales. Um, but while you are funding the various bands that we've received payola to cover, you can also fund us directly by supporting us on Patreon. <laughs> uh, $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, where uh, that's our private Discord server, where today it was all discussion about um, recording equipment and principles and practices of mixing and mastering. So... Yeah, it's a, it's it's basically like a uh, like one of those online course scams that you can sign up for, mm-hmm. but we're a lot cheaper than most of them. Put the iPhone in the corner and throw the drum pad over it. <laughs> exactly, that's the move. Um, anyway, uh, and and also, I think I'm gonna just start doing the YouTube shill now. Uh, hey guys, um, thanks to your listening to my last YouTube shill, we finally got over 650 subscribers. Oh, thank God. Uh, 
Yeah. So um, we, we've been we could str- quit now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just wrap this bitch um, up right so, now. <laughs> yeah, 650. Yeah, who needs to get to 666? Um, the, uh, but yeah, so if, if you are... If you are just hearing us for the first time or or one of the first few times on YouTube, or if you mostly listen to the podcast but you have a YouTube account, please consider subscribing just to do us a solid and boost our signal. And please consider liking every video you possibly can. These things seem... Uh, these things may seem superficial, but they're actually a very good form of material support, especially if you're broke. And, you know, you can help us boost our signal even though we've probably already been like mega nerfed for covering gbk (laughs) remember guys it's us or metal sucks there are no other options hey it's kari from sepulchre curse and i'm yaku you're listening to terminus all right so first album for tonight uh, thanks again to Metal Blade A&R for that uh, $60,000 uh, that they gave us to cover this record. I hope these next 45 minutes are appropriate for you. Uh, we received them in uh, gold doubloons, actually, from an ancient Spanish shipwreck. Um, we have the newest record by Defleshed, uh, titled Grind Over Matter, out again on Metal Blade Records. Uh, This is a weird band to come back up out of nowhere. So, uh, Defleshed are a Swedish death thrash band who have existed since the early 90s, but their period of prominence was between the mid-90s and the mid-2000s, and then they broke up in 05. Now, 17 years later, the guys have gotten back together to do a new record. Um, So, you know, I, I always have mixed feelings about, like, long absences from bands, uh, you know, coming back. But with a band like Defleshed, who were never extraordinarily popular to begin with, just had kind of a run of doing incredibly solid, reliable death metal records for about a decade period, I felt a little more positive about that, and I wasn't disappointed by the new one. Um, For those who are unfamiliar... Defleshed play a style of like really aggressive death thrash with a lot of blast beats, but also this sort of rock and roll attitude that links them to another couple bands that we were just talking about before we jumped on. Namely, bands like The Crown and Witchery, who all kind of float around in the same sphere of doing sort of thrash revival stuff, or at least revival for the era that they came up in. Um, but they always inflected it a little bit differently. Defleshed was kind of the, the more aggressive, more brutal, blast beat oriented one. The Crown was uh, more on the melodic side. And Witchery was kind of doing the black thrash take on the whole oh, thing. And then you got Cranium. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you got Cranium like right around the same period. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so there was kind of this whole movement in Sweden going on in like the late 90s of, uh, you know, revitalizing thrash. Um, I think it's probably safe to assume that you weren't familiar with Defleshed before this. No, no. Yeah, so Defleshed is in a weird spot because they did a string of five really solid records from 96 to 05. Um, were released on fairly big labels, had good distribution and everything, but you never hear anyone talk about the band. And they've just been mostly forgotten to time, which is 
too bad because it's actually really excellent music. And um, this was just a really nice record to listen to. I, I guess I want to open with that. I really like this record, and there is something so comfortable about this music to me. Like, this reminds me of so much of the stuff that I was listening to when I was first getting into death metal, kind of in my early teens. You know, this stuff that is extreme, it's loud, it's aggressive, it's in your face, but it's also sort of oriented around traditional rock song structures. You know, verse chorus stuff, big catchy hook riffs and kind of sing-along vocal parts. There's something really cool about hearing this, especially in contrast to the usual stuff that we cover. But now that I've given the preamble, uh, Black Metal Guy, what do you think of your first experience with Defleshed? Yeah, this is just obviously really cool. And like both of the records tonight, it's really cool in the way that extreme metal first strikes you when you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. Right? There's like, there's just the kind of... um, yeah, I mean, the immediacy in the songwriting is awesome. Uh, I think the extreme intensity, I mean, we'll probably talk about this a fair amount, but as the title would suggest, uh, you could almost call this record, a, this a grind record. Um, in fact, I would say you could think of it as a grind record. And I would say the grind, it has the most in common with this stuff like Nazem. Yeah. Um, like Nazem was Nazem. also very rock and rolly, <laughs> and I think sort of tried to separate themselves from the punk scene. Their imagery was a lot more metal. Um, the, uh, and, you know, like, this record just has, like, you know, just big, sort of cr- really crisp drum playing, but very intense. Uh, and, you know, just, like, big dishwasher blast beat sections that just drop in. Um, and, uh... And, you know, just in the same way that, like, certain kinds of, like, big, beefy grind bands like Nazem uh, have a lot of D-beats and thrash parts. Like, and for some of them, you'll hear some of those records, you'll be like, is this a grind record? There's a lot of thrash here, right? Or a lot of a lot of D-beat. Like, this, I don't think this is really that far off. I mean, obviously, it is also thrash. It's also death metal. Um, but you could really put it in any of those categories, I think. Um, oh, and also just the guitar sounds like a brick. That's the main awesome comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely true. It's yeah. It's um it's interesting, you know, in prep for this, just because I've never thought to look it up, I looked up a couple interviews with these guys, a couple from back in the day and a couple from the comeback. And it's interesting watching them talk about this music just because there's something so workmanlike about the way they present themselves. Um, there, there is a complete lack of pretense. Uh, most of the interviews that I read were with Lars, who's the, uh, guitarist in the band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember reading an older interview around like their third album or so where they were just talking about, um, you know, the day jobs that they worked, you know, they were talking about, uh, you know, it's like, oh, no, we're never going to be like a huge band or something. And that's fine. We like what we're doing. And then the comeback interviews where it's like, we'll see if we do another record after this. You know, we just wanted to see, we really just wanted to see if we still had it in us. And all of these guys had been doing various other bands in interim periods, but always at this sort of like regional mid-level. Nothing that ever really broke out in a huge way. Well, um, and there's something just really respectable and blue collar about that. And I think that translates into the music. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we talk about that a fair amount on on the show about this kind of working class ethos applied to uh, applied to extreme metal, and that it's a central part of it, and that you know you should not. Well, well, especially these days, but right, like the for the most part, the best bands are always the ones who kept their day jobs or were happy to return to them. Um, and uh, and it also gives you an independence from things like touring, mm-hmm. right? Um, like I'm sure these guys real like playing live and are really good at it, but. You know, something I've spitballed a bit on the show before, about on the show before, is I think certain bands get very addicted to the touring lifestyle, and you start playing to the crowd in ways that ultimately make the music less metal. Yeah, I definitely get what you mean. It, it's funny you talk about touring in one of those, <coughs> excuse me, in one of those more recent interviews, Lars was saying, yeah, after this, uh, this was back in, uh, this was like a week ago or something, uh, this tour, mm-hmm. this, uh, this interview came out. He was saying, yeah, after this festival we're playing, we're going on like a week tour out to Japan and back. And a week is just about the perfect length for a tour for us these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. Dude, um, hitting, just casually hitting Japan. Hell yeah. That's yeah, awesome. that, that, it is so, crazy to think they're going to Japan. And they said, oh, yeah, we did uh, one time back in the early 2000s as well. I was like, defleshed, went to fucking Japan. Good for them. Well, man. Cranium did too. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. I was I was taking a shit yesterday <laughs> thinking about how funny that song was and laughing. Oh man, I can't believe they pulled it off, man. But yeah. All right. All right. So, to this record. Yeah, to this record. Let's uh let's listen to a track. Uh let's listen to the opening of a track called One Grave to Fit Them All. Um, love the song titles. We'll, we'll get a little bit more into like the ethos and the aesthetics of this band in a little bit, Mm -hmm. but here is what you're going to get from Defleshed. And this basically applies to every song on the record. It is a homogenous material and it's awesome. We get to the chorus of the song inside of like 45 seconds. And then, uh, then we get into just a series of really cool death thrash riffs with blast beats that go on way longer than any so-called like retro band would. So yeah, that is in essence the record. It's going to be big vocal-driven hook, um, series of cool death thrash riffs 
with a lot of blasting. And th those are the primary modes of this entire record. Um, but it's the subtleties that make it interesting. Like, um, so a retro style death thrash band would have two repetitions of that riff with the blast beat and two with like a thrash beat. Here, no, we're blasting over all four because this is supposed to be extreme music. Um, another thing that's fascinating that does sort of point to the actual era these guys come from is like the hook riff with those big sustained held chords. You just don't mm -hmm. hear those riffs anymore, you know, because I think one of the secrets of this album, I was going to talk about this on a later sample, but it's really crucial across the whole record. Um, the big held chord riffs don't really exist anymore because that is like a, a holdover from like heavy and speed metal from the idea of it hmm. being vocally driven music. Those riffs are there for cool vocal things to happen. And that doesn't really happen in death metal anymore. Here, they're designed to be sing-along parts. You know, you can tell from the very audible lyrics and everything, this is party music fundamentally. Well, it also works as a breakdown. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like maybe you get things somewhat like that in more breakdowny parts of death metal and occasionally black metal songs um, still today. But I know what you mean, like, especially with the big held chords written for the chorus, right? That's not, um, you could also like have the chorus riff be worse than the main riff, right? Yeah. If you're doing... Right, if the idea is that it's kind of a breakdown and the song focuses on the vocal hook, there would be a way of writing this track where the main riff would be basically the fast ones. Uh, and here the chorus riff is, it's like melodically important and it's timed out with the vocals, which is a super rock and roll thing. Um, yeah. the, the other context, like, <clears throat> but you also get those big held chord riffs, um, carrying melody without vocals uh, in early Swedish death metal in general. Uh, so like, or yeah, Scandinavian death metal in general. So like, think about like some of the, like the really cool passages on uh, that, you know, on, on the dismember record. Right. Yeah, yeah, stream, yeah. Right. And I was listening to the first sentenced record the other night too, uh, from Finland. And there were just these crushing open chord riffs that were, not too dissimilar from the one in this song just now. Uh, and yeah, it's definitely an art that's lost. It's it's one way of displaying your guitar tone in a way that's not like playing boring doom riffs. Yeah, uh, and listening to this again, yeah, that guitar tone is just like a fucking sine wave. That thing is just is <laughs> so, so saturated with distortion it's, it, it like makes me cackle a little bit um yeah. but one thing that you mentioned that i want to touch on now because it really informs everything is that like defleshed at its heart is sort of well okay let me rephrase this there's a certain kind of metalhead that sees extreme metal as just the most extreme rock music you know, and there's certain kinds of musicians, particularly older ones who see playing death metal as part of a lineage of rock music. Um, mm -hmm. And this comes out in a few different ways. This comes out in like guitar guy kind of bands, like real the long chasm. hair stuff. Yeah, yeah. The chasm mm -hmm. would definitely see itself sort of slotted into that philosophically. Um, but really what Defleshed does is 
they are sort of conceptually closer to Motorhead than they are to other death metal bands, Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting conceit. In one of those interviews I was uh, talking about earlier, uh, Lars mentioned how he was excited to play this festival coming up because he was really excited to get to play with and see Impaled Nazarene. And that makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense, you know, because that is, in a sense, they are the sort of black metal version of this. You know, that Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. like one, two, fuck you, punk rock, black metal shit, you know. Mm -hmm. And here we have a logical. Very grinding, heavy guitar tone. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. The idea that it's like it's it's supposed to piss off your neighbors. And Mm -hmm. I think that is just. There, there's something very refreshing about a band whose aims are that clear and that straightforward. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so now, um, going to an, another song early on the record. Uh, so the last song was uh, about throwing your enemies in a mass grave, um, <laughs> or the, your your last sample. And yeah. then the next song after that appears to be a song about trucking. Or something like that, heavy haul, um, maybe a trucking metaphor. And isn't that isn't that such a such a like an early '80s sort of thing to do? Oh, oh like heavy metal. A, yeah, it's like oh, the songs we are about the road, trucking and shit. Yeah, we are the road crew, man. Yeah. Um, so they do they do a trucking song, and boy, does it sound like trucking music. Um, <laughs> and now we're on a song about being a middle aged metalhead, just trying to get the devil to leave you alone.
I am loving this new niche we're discovering of like middle-aged extreme metal songs about getting older, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, yeah, so like, I mean, maybe the funniest lyric is after the first chorus run, which is, uh, please don't feed me bacon. I'm trying to stay on diet. I try to stay on diet. Right. It's, um, he, he's praying to the devil and he's praying to the devil to leave him alone. Um, <laughs> and to, uh, and, and yeah, it's just, I mean, do any other highlights for you from there? There are so many good, good ones. It's, uh, uh, was it please uh, handle me with care <laughs> yeah it's a, and in regard to those demons please keep them off my back it's like yeah this is the flesh doing dead and ten by nunslaughter you know yeah. It's oh same, yeah 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 dude i and i love the idea that these guys who are uh, the guys in deflesh are like right around 50 now mm. um and it's I love that idea of like the renegotiating your contract with the devil as you get older, <laughs> as your mortality becomes closer, you get a little bit more concerned about the long-term ramifications of the promise you made when you were 19. That's, <laughs> that's such a hilarious and awesome idea for a metal song. And it's, and really it's kind of a flesh thing in general. They've always had like a, a sense of humor about themselves. Um, yeah. Not in a I ridiculous mean, way, but yeah. No, it's not ridiculous because there's a you know uh, a real idea here. Although, uh, and you know, the riffs are crushing, right? You get that. Uh, you, you get the sort of um, the the main riff there is extremely rock and roll, right? On, on oh, the yeah, chorus, yeah. Um, uh, it's it, it's almost like more rock and roll than a Motorhead or Venom riff. Um, it's almost like like Zeppelin-y intervals or something, but like more primitive than that, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I it's mean, like very. There's tons of really bluesy licks all over this. Yeah, there's there, this is a this is a death metal record with licks. This is that's that's the tag. Yeah, that's line. true. I just said licks. That's right? the sticker you yeah. put on the cover. Of this thing in the store is de- death metal with licks with tasty yeah. licks. You know, <laughs> it's you know um. And yeah, so at the end of the song, he says, thanks for the attention. Like he's like, he's like a kid wrapping out, you know, wrapping up like a dear Santa letter, except it's dear Satan, you know, like there's like, like there's layers of the humor that just keep coming. Uh, yeah. And uh, obviously with, in regards to the song itself, it really is like most of these songs carried by its own intensity. Like, the vast majority of the songs on this record don't go much past three minutes. Um, And retro thrash or like death thrash type bands nowadays are usually hitting that four to five minute mark. But uh, Defleshed are really economical with what they do. These are songs that are based around just like maybe three riffs with some internal variations and stuff. Mm But what it lacks in, you know, complexity from like a riff count department, it makes up for in just how aggressive it is, how aggressive and tight the right hand kind of palm muted trem work is, how sort of. Oh, in, oh go dude, ahead. that first riff, um, oh, the dude, verse yeah. riff on this track is just I mean, if you wanted to like, what are the intervals in that? It's, you know, the one at the bottom and then the one a half step above and then the one two below that. 
and you know, just very elemental, just thrash metal minor, right, intervals. But it is, that's it, like a master class in how you play a riff like that just viciously. How do you write a really good one like that? Yeah, no, the, the, the power of these riffs isn't really in their writing, it's in their execution. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, but I think they're written really well. Because they have those turns written into them and they have, it's, you know, it's, this is like when we get back to like, when I tell you like, no, you can tell the difference between a good D beat riff and a bad D beat riff. It's yeah, like, but it's, these are good primitive thrash riffs. I, they're good primitive thrash riffs, but it's like, it, it, it's, they're not really great because of intervallic choices. They're, oh, they're, no. Yeah, because that's all. This is all idiomatic stuff. This is just a guy who's been playing the style on guitar for so long that he's got like an internal dimension to the way these riffs are laid out rhythmically. That's way in advance of like younger guys. That's what I meant to say. It's it's rhythm. Yes, that is. Yeah, the interval choice there, in at least in that specific riff, does not matter at all. Right? You could. It's um. It, but yeah, the rhythm and the inflection in the plane, and and the the precision and speed. No, oh, yeah, no, you're right though. These kind of are more like D beat riffs. They they are functional, yeah. purpose built riffs, just with a lot of internal sophistication. Um, well, that's the you know that's the the D beat subtext of Swedish extreme metal, right? Which is uh, you know. Um, I, I I don't know. Like I'll, I'll take this version of it better than the stand more than you know the standard sort of uh, trudging pseudo D beat stuff that <laughs> well all day better yeah. than that. Yeah. Um, so let me go to another one. Uh, this is from the, actually the very next track uh, called "Staring Blind." Uh, this is one of my favorites, just because this is such an economical song. There's really only like two riffs on this song. But there's so much momentum built up through them and so much internal variation, it stays really, really interesting. And this is where I want to talk a little bit more about this band's relationship to The Crown and how how I think the songwriting process goes for these guys. So let's let's listen to the back half of Staring Blind. I try but cannot say, is this my destiny? The night they fight between a penalty and ecstasy. Flames, replies, 
Yeah, that's just that that whole song is fucking phenomenal. Um, so what what makes it work so well? One again, going back to the well of just how aggressive and how articulate this is. I love the the style of blasting on this because it is old school '90s death metal blasting. I think it might be like one foot stuff. Um, and there's something about blast beats delivered in that way that just make them sound heavier. I mean, there, there's tons of people playing faster or more technically right now, but there's something about the the limitations of the one-foot blast, the fact that you really have to exert yourself to pull it off correctly, Yeah, that bleeds into the music. Uh, and the, the, the rhythms are just subtly different. It makes it very clear that you are hitting the same damn drum over and over again. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's um, it doesn't it doesn't roll. It just pummels. Right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have the smoothness of the two foot blast. Mm-hmm. Um, so and 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 that's something this band really leans on is this sense of like sort of barreling forward momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, every every riff sort of pours into the next one. There's there's a massive amount of like. Um, internal energy that gets passed from riff to riff. Um, and it just stays really exciting. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about um, was kind of the songwriting process here. Because thinking about the way uh, an extreme metal song is usually written, and then listening to how these guys design songs, it seems like there's a different methodology at work. Because, for instance, those big chorus moments with those held chord riffs, mm-hmm. you don't come up with that riff first. You come up with a cool vocal hook, and then you're sort of like backing up the guitars behind that. Mm-hmm. Because without the vocals sort of providing guidance in that moment, there's there's nothing to really hang on to, you know, if you're just looking at guitars. But here, it's executed because there's a, a distinct sort of vocal idea in mind. I think that these songs are built very... From, like, a single element, sometimes a riff, a lot of the time it's, like, a, a lyrical phrase or something, and then they're building everything around that, which is just so radically different from how most death and black metal is written nowadays. That song also has, like, a bunch of, we were talking during it, like, although there are maybe two core riffs, there are a bunch of uh, small riff variations. Like, there's a fancier version of the basic thrash riff Mm -hmm. there's like um some cool turnaround stuff there's a big chunky open chord sweet death riff there's like lots of just lots of shit happens over the course of that song even though it's working from this very minimal palette yeah and it's it's it seems clear i mean i guess i could be wrong but it's like all those turnarounds are clearly like made through just constant iteration in the rehearsal room Those Mm -hmm. aren't written out. Those are just played over and over again. And he keeps finding new fancy ways to turn it around and provide a little bit of extra flourish. And it ends up in the finished product. Um, Real quick, before we go to your last sample, I do want to talk about the relation to The Crown. Um, For those who aren't familiar, The Crown was like a kind of a household name right around the era where Deflushed broke up, sort of like early to mid 2000s. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the originally they were Crown of Thorns, who were an incredible sort of Gothenburg-style Melodeth band. Um, one of the best out there, and it's like almost forgotten, which is a tragedy. And then they rebranded themselves a Crown and stripped down a little bit and made sort of aggressive melodic death thrash. 
So just as a point of comparison to talk about if people are interested in Deflashed, there is kind of a scene of bands like this. So I want to go to, real quick, the first track off Death Race King, which is kind of the seminal album by The Crown. And we'll just listen to a little bit of the opening track, Death Explosion, all one word, of course. And you're going to immediately hear all the similarities. I mean, even just like the uh, those simple little uh, those those sort of gestures that lesser and younger bands and bands trying to be retro never do, right? That's kind of like the stutters they threw in there um, mm-hmm. at, at at transitions between sections. Um, there were there was at least one time when it seemed like they sort of like reversed the feel of the thrash beat. And like changed it to a downbeat or something, and it's they're, they're like, I, I don't know, they're like the rhythm turns on itself in a weird way in a couple points. Yeah, the crown does a lot of like weird, sophisticated little tricks. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, all of their albums are just a joy to listen to. It, it's one of those, it's one of those, and, and bands. they just do simple, cool shit that nobody else bothers doing, or they think, oh, that would be ridiculous. We can't just say something about Satan and then yell death explosion. <laughs> it's definitely one of those bands that it's like it's super easy to get into when you're first getting into metal and then you sort of like drift away from it as you get into weirder and weirder stuff and then when you've been doing it for a bunch mm. of years and you're all old and tired you come back to it and it's like yes this is this feels like home you know oh <laughs> Oh man! But give speaking of feeling like home, I I gave this one. This is obviously the best song on the album that you got here. <laughs> well, 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 thanks, bro. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's about. Th- there's no better way to introduce it. Yeah, here. This is a song about feeling like home. It's called Blast Beast.
It's so good. That that that's that's obviously this is the song for the record. Yeah. These and, and, riffs feel more like maybe crafted in the rehearsal room, but these some of these riffs feel more writ tailored. Like written. Yeah. Well, it's there's also, a lot of craft in the uh, it's mostly like rhythm and articulation work, but there's a lot of craft in these riffs. Yeah, there's some there's some really interesting interval choices on some of those. Mm-hmm. And this is where the Nazim thing really comes out. Dude, yeah, this heavy skank D-beat, again, so much better than the band's knocking off Entombed. So much better than Entombed. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, like, yeah, that is crushing, um, the, the skank. Um, and they roll in the Motorhead beat under it, right? Uh, and then the way, you know, I talk, I've tried to avoid describing certain kinds of riffs I like as whiplashing for a while, but that's like the perfect description of these, right? Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. they're written around the blasting to, to whip. And the thrash riffs are just, I mean, that like turning thrash riff under the chorus is, is crazy. Well, yeah, um, it's, it's like I was talking about the idea of the internal momentum. A lot of these, mm-hmm. a lot of these riffs end with like a big held chord, so it really whips back in hard when the uh, repetition comes back around. You know, that's you know, I like that about riffs. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about so, that just yeah. last week. Yeah. So yes, these are. This whole song almost feels like one long riff, right? It's just one riffing sequence that extends the whole way through. Um, yeah. It's um. What's well, it's it's this unbroken chain of very naturalistic ideas, um, yeah. And so another thing I want to talk about is I I never thought I would come around to saying this, but can we get more extreme metal songs about metal? That was yeah. such, that was a classic thing in traditional heavy metal was to do a song about heavy metal. I would love more death metal songs about death metal. You know? Dude, Ares Kingdom had. I was just on Ares Kingdom's website today, uh, and there, they had some lyrics from a song like that. But you know, we associate songs like that, like songs about metal, with like new wave of British heavy metal bands or like bands playing big stadiums. Yeah. But but they just have like lyrics on their page, and they had like Slaughter Lord lyrics that were songs about metal. That's it, awesome. You know, yeah. uh, that were about that was about metal. Yeah, like uh, it's um, yeah, you you can do that. And so this is, yeah. So this song is about how much they love blast beats and <laughs> just that that feeling. The chorus is like blast beast, blast beast, full acceleration till impact, blast beast, blast beast, feel my need for the attack. That's so great. Like, it's and- so sick. It's, and, you know, kind of coming back full circle um, to what we were talking yeah, about, yeah. like, as we started this, that sort of song means so much more when it's from guys like this instead of guys who are playing stadiums. Because, like, that, everybody yeah. everybody listening to this show, your metal scene in your town is not anybody playing stadiums. It's bar bands, and it's all your friends and stuff. It's it, this this whole sort of ecosystem of culture and to do a song about that means so much more when it's blue collar guys working day jobs who get to live the dream for a couple weeks at a time 
you know. Yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, I think the thing with, like, songs like that is there were a lot of, like, things, it's like, oh, great, we need, like, a seventh track on the record. Okay, like, Kings of Metal Unite, right, or whatever. Sorry, wait, that's literally a Man of War record, right, <laughs> Kings of Metal or something. But you, you know what I mean, like, oh, yeah. shit, we can't say that, Man of War said that. Okay, Lords of Metal Unite, um... Uh, but yeah, when it's done in this intentional way, that's more sort of like, you know, on the one hand, just like casual and loving, but on the other hand, worshipful, it counts for a lot. This, the lyrics are few, they're formatted like the prayer to Satan earlier on the record, right? It's formatted as a prayer to the blast beast, the patron god of, of, you know, the blast and trem. Um, <laughs> and, uh... You know, that's a dumb pun we've all come up with in our heads at one point or another, and it's really good. Uh, and, and, you know, they made our song around it. Um, wordplay in foreign languages for metal is often tricky. These guys nail it. Um, you know, it's uh, in part because it's just this heavy dose of dad humor. Like, the yeah. way that they know that they're being funny in a dumb way, that's the point. This is like ultimate stupid smart record. Um, yeah, this in terms is, of like, it's it's for people who have been in the scene, and it's there's something mm -hmm. lovingly self-referential for the in-group. It's yeah. it's not for people outside of metal to be like, oh look, they're doing a song about it. It's like this yeah. is, it comes from a place of affection, from deep within it, and and. On that note, like you were saying, like they played in some other bands that you know were more peripheral. Well. Uh, you know, to get back to the lineup, there there is some, they really are the right age where even though, you know, Defleshed kicked off a little later, they were really there for the early 90s. Um, and, uh, yeah, Gustav, who's, I think, the, the vocalist and bassist, right, that he, he played in, like, a early, kind of ahead of its time, pagan black metal band called Varga Vinter. Um, I'm going to play some for the interlude. It's, it's really good. Um... The drummer played, just I think, played in Dark Funeral for a few for a number of years and toured with Necrophobic. So they've like, they've been in the thick of it, uh, aside from just in Defleshed. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, man, um, it's uh, this is uh, Ekta Svensk Fader's Metal. <laughs>
and we are back from talking about the death metal guy's frustrating cat to discuss something even heavier. Divine Counsel by Psychroptic out on Prosthetic and EVP recordings. Uh, so, it's me introducing the Tech Death record, which is odd, but um, that's because I, th- I-, I was the one who suggested we bring this on the show. Is yep. this my first tech or brutal death thing that I've brought on the show? I think so. Well, now there maybe was a... I did that Japanese one a long yeah, time yeah, ago yeah. that was that... kind of like an NY brutal death metal thing. Yeah, I was thinking of that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. but this is definitely yeah. the first tech death. Oh no, the, the tech death. There was that. Uh, I forget who it was, but it was that record called Animate Isolate. Oh, yep, yep, yeah. Well, okay, that that's a good connection. Um, yeah, to this specifically. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that animate isolate record was very thrashy, and so this is this is where we we, we begin with Psychroptic. Um, Psychroptic is, I think, the first band in the tech or brutal death scene that I ever like sought out on my own. I think before we did this show, or maybe, and uh, or definitely before we did this show, and maybe just something about the art caught my eye or something. Um, and I think I listened to some new new record of theirs, maybe just the one that came out a couple of years ago, uh, as uh, like the one with some snakes on it, the self-titled, yeah. And I was like surprised. I was like, hey, this just is just like really aggressive thrashy stuff. Okay, well, I'm. And so I went back and checked the earlier stuff, uh, and you know the classic record, Scepter of the Ancients, um, and I was kind of blown away by that. That's a, um, that's a great. That's just a phenomenal record. That is an awesome <laughs> record, and I think for someone who is, for listeners who are more into black metal or anything on the more stripped down or primitive end of the spectrum, uh, and this is actually a very good point of entry for more stuff that has the more clinical production and the more you know conspicuously virtuosic playing. Um, the. Uh, Scepter of the Ancients was cool. Well, first of all, because the cover uh, was very black metal. Um, It could have been, if it was just the Lovecraftian Hydra Beasts, maybe it would have been a death metal record. But instead, it's just an authoritative druid blasting them with the Scepter of the Ancients. Um, So cool. So, yeah, very. So, really, what's the difference between a death metal cover and a black metal cover? An authoritative druid. Um, And the uh and and so that was interesting and the music was the music is very much death metal uh and it's sort of you know intricate riffing intense groove with a lot of cool rhythmic change-ups um uh you know the very often it moves at this sort of heavy mid-tempo but with very fast trim um people have described it as sort of like mecha alien trim but anyway Basically, there are long, powerful trem riffs um, that are cool and will appeal to black metal people, and the song titles are even very black metal. Songs like Lassertine Forest or The Valley of Wind's Breath and Dragon's Fire. (laughs) Um, So all in all, like, a very... All in all, it was a really cool intro, and I went back to it again before we did this review, and I was like, damn, I get this even more now that I've done this show with you for two years and listened to so much of this other brutal death and tech stuff. Mm. Yeah. You know, so uh, so I guess that's, 
you know, that's what brought me to this record. Uh, and, you know, you can see also the cover for this could also, maybe not on a black metal record, but on some sort of like, you mentioned an interesting thing in the notes, which is Epic Doom, uh, right? The, the Psychroptic is generally an unusually noble tech death band, I yeah. think, in their aesthetics. And the cover is, they have that black metal or Epic Doom nobility. And the cover is like a titanic figure holding his own head underwater to speak to a diver who I assume is consulting him. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, Psychroptic aesthetically has always... Um... <clears throat> it always felt like they kind of had their own little world, their own little mm-hmm. sort of internal fantasy world that mm-hmm. operates under I- its own distinct logic. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the lyrics are always sort of like nebulously philosophical, but also like very rooted in fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I think, and I think what you're getting at in terms of like its accessibility to maybe like black metal people or people that just aren't really into the tech death thing in general, yeah. really comes down to uh, there's a tremendous amount of atmosphere to all of Psychoptics' work. Um, they do a really good job establishing meaningful narratives in their songs and really across whole albums. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, absolutely. Um, this is, I think in some ways, this record production-wise will be less... Um, some people who are more into BM-type stuff or raw death metal will be put off by the production. I almost wonder if we should talk about that first or very early in the review. I mean, yeah, but we I think talk about it now. How would you describe the general... <coughs> maybe, maybe before that, how would you describe the general... I think I could describe some differences between this and Scepter, but why don't you do it since you're the expert on, you know? So Scepter, um, Scepter is a classic because it has, you know, extremely technical playing, um, but they're slotted into songs that are sort of conventional death metal song structures. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, really, I guess this isn't so much of a difference so much as like uh, the band constantly iterating and refining on what they value mm-hmm. as important uh, as a band. And I guess the big thing I would say both for songwriting and for production is Psychroptic prizes clarity above everything. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I wrote in the notes, uh, I saw Psychroptic live probably 2016, something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. they were on a little tour and, uh, I managed to catch them and it was fascinating because the guitarist, um, one, he was playing everything note for note. Perfect. It was remarkable how good this guy was. And the other thing was that he plays at like, uh, at least live, sort of a remarkably low gain for the style of music. It's a pretty clean tone. It's more of a crunch than like a full overdrive. Um, and I realized that the reason is because they want everything to ring out in a very distinct fashion. And what's also interesting is that means there's no hiding behind anything. If you screw up, you're going to screw up in a very obvious way. So it takes immense skill and immense confidence to execute like that. And I think that sort of comes across on their records as well. Um, Psychroptic is a band that wants to be very clear, wants to be very readable. As highly technical and sort of convoluted as this music gets, it always wants the listener to be able to follow along with every note. Mm -hmm. They don't want anything to be guesswork. 
Um, and that extends to the production, which is clean and sort of clinical. I guess a lot of people would say I've seen like way more extreme versions of that. So this comes across as like pretty normal to me, but definitely it's not what you're expecting from most of the stuff we cover on this show. A lot of the brutal, you know, a lot of the brutal death stuff we listen to or tech death on the show sounds way more sort of like, I remember people describing Scepter as sort of like, you know, alien, okay, alien I get, but like deliberately sterile. And when I listened to that again, I did not get that at all. No, I just get the um, sense that it's like, it's sort of flat 90s. It's, it's deliberate, it's flat, and as you say, there's a great emphasis on clarity of form, which is common in other great metal bands, sorry, extreme metal bands. So, you know, but this record is... I would say that I would describe the sound here as very modern compared to a lot of the stuff I like, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a massive beefy studio production. Um and it's it's it does not have that dry 90s sound in the way that, you know, uh Scepter kind of does. Um there is a the production, the way this is produced is probably this also doesn't sound yeah, this doesn't sound heavily produced in a way that some of the more big sounding brutal death records we've listened to. These are this is sort of like a it's there are dense guitar tones, uh the leads which are important here are sort of glistening. Um there are big washes of synth in the background. There's a lot going on, but it's very it's it is still all very clear. Uh and three-dimensional um yeah maybe their old stuff might be deliberately two-dimensional in the sound this is very three-dimensional sound uh, I, could, I would definitely say I, I think psychroptic is a band that probably always wanted to sound like this they were just limited you know mm -hmm. or earlier on in their career but, that was the best they could but get. the but the one thing we should so but you know you can hear how this production is also like influenced by like things that have happened in between like basically deathcore mm -hmm. and stuff um and that brings us to the vocals a stumbling block for some of our fans will be the vocals on this which are in chorus almost the entire time and heavily distorted uh this is not really to knock the vocalist the moments where the vocalist himself comes to the foreground where we can isolate a voice, it often sounds great, and it often very aggressive, but there's some effect they're going for on this record, which is like, it's a deathcore idea of brutality, where it's just like, okay, distort the hell out of everything and chorus it all, so it all sounds like spooky demon voices all speaking at the same time. But the problem is, if you do that everywhere... Well, then you have the... We've talked on the last episode about how, dis, in reviewing, you know, black metal, how distortion washes out sound in vocals. And if you also add the chorusing of the vocals to that, then you just get this big, diffuse smear of vocal that cuts across all the sound. So, I mean, that, to my ear, I, I'm pretty good at this point, I've, especially after a couple of years of doing this show, at, like, adapting to the kind of production on records like this, I would encourage people to listen past it and also to listen for the moments where the vocals really, uh, you know, where the vocals really shine. And the instrumentals on this are, like, more than worth it. it <laughs> do you have any do, do you have any feedback on, like, like is, 
What do you think of the vocal approach here? So uh, vocals and psychoptic have always been a contentious thing uh, mm-hmm. with their previous vocal. They're like the classic vocalist Chalky, as well mm-hmm. as uh, the newer guy whose name escapes me, uh, Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I get what you mean. I think that in most circumstances, I would agree here. It doesn't really bother me because I think the sort of effect treated and like chorusy vocals fit with the sort of epic scope of the mm-hmm. music that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really bother me. I, I the, the role the vocals play in this music is very textural inherently. Um, mm-hmm. So I think from another band, those aspects would bother me. Here, it sort of it, it fits the overall presentation. Maybe, I think. maybe that's it for me. If it's going to be textural, I want the texture to be quieter. <laughs> you know, almost mix it more like a Judas Iscariot record, right? Like, um, you know, have the vocals a little more washy, except in parts where you want them to really pop. Um, but. Also, I think my ears are adapting to it, even as I I listen more. And yeah, I think it has something to do with the concept of the record, which this is one of those records where the more you listen to it, the more you're like, oh, there is a really important concept behind everything here. Uh, Mm -hmm. And if it's called the Divine Council, yeah, I wonder if we're not just like hearing all of the gods. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I definitely got there is there's something sort of like Grecian about this. Yeah, yeah. Like we're hearing different voices. Yes, there may be a consulting with the Pantheon. Um, and we are here, you know, we're hearing the divinities speak and it's like or the Oracle speak in kind of tongues all at once. Right. Uh, and there this is very theatrical music. Extremely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, uh Hey, it's another record that features tasty licks, so uh, let's listen to some of them. Yeah, all right. So um, speaking also of trying to define the atmosphere, one thing I would tell, if I had heard this cold in, you know, when I was younger or something, I might have said, this is extreme industrial metal. Um, And in this sample... Listen for two undying tropes. Uh, first of all, the kind of like syncopation you got from like King Crimson, like the Thelo and Genjit riff. And also, I mean, maybe even more crucially, Killing Joke riffs. Um, so yeah, ch- check it out.
So, we rolled out on the Killing Joke riff. Yeah. Um, the cool thing is that, like, so two cool things. Once, w- one, right? That that riff, right, if we write it out note for note, is a very simple, standard, kind of, the weight by Killing Joke, thrashy, industrially riff. Um, you the, the press release said it, and you said it too, confidence or assurance. This record is full of riffs that are just sort of like groovy and not trying to prove anything, despite the pyrotechnics. However, if you zoom in on that riff, um, <laughs> you can hear crazy chug subdivisions that make it way heavier than like phoned-in versions of that riff that we hear all the time. There's um, there's something that really happens, you know. This is in some ways like the performance on the performances on this record are like the opposite of what they are on the defleshed record, but they're also mm-hmm. very cool. These are guys who are just so fucking good at their instruments that probably everything here is way under their skill level. That's yes. It's so They're, smooth and relaxed, everything about this, no matter how intense it gets. It's just so self-assured. The default tempo is mid-tempo. Even the blasting is more, for the most part, more steady and authoritative. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the default, this one reason I think it feels like industrial, is that the default tempo is these big mid-tempo grooves. Um and, you know, so then we got to talk about the big riffs, right? He sets it up with the King Crimson stuff, like the... And then it just blossoms, just takes off. And, you know, this may be the first point in my <laughs> life that I've ever gushed about tapping. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And, like, the center of the record are these big rolling double bass grooves where he'll set up a pattern, set up a pedal point pattern, and then just, like, start doing this just array of tapping stuff. And I feel like each time he does that, you have to do the kiss guy tongue. Oh, yeah, it's... it's it's fascinating because like so much of the like sort of extended guitar technique on this Mm -hmm. is pulled off with a a sort of tastefulness and panache that like almost nothing else is like at least inside of death metal or death metal adjacent genres. It's there's a crispness and a fluidity to it that suggests that it's not there to be impressive. This is incredibly difficult music to play but like the thing that's the most difficult is the the sheer like tonal control like yeah everything is so exact and precise and so smooth and relaxed at the same time it's cultivating a completely different mood from most tech death you know most tech death wants you to feel kind of a nervous energy you know Psychroptic's not about that at all. This is like cruising music in just the weirdest this way is, possible. Yeah, this is super cruising music. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's like slow nod, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, yeah. like, this is a band you see live, and it's totally cool to just have your arms crossed and nod along with it. Yeah. Or, or you can windmill headbang like a maniac, right? Oh, they, they, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> The other thing I realized when I was uh, I was listening again earlier today, and I ate an edible earlier, <laughs> and I was like, 
And then I was like, oh, this is Weed Guy Tech Death right here. And Psychraptic might be one of the earliest. Isn't you know? it all Tech Death, Weed Guy Tech Death? I would say some of it isn't. I, I feel like this is particular Weed Guy Tech Death. I mean, you've got like the airbrushed druid fighting the, the, the Hydra monster on Scepter of the Ancients. Mm. And you've got like... Everything's sort of relaxed and chill on this. <laughs> I'm seeing the point. I see the point. Yeah, it's yeah. um, it is it's it's forcefully chill. Uh, yeah, they really are. There could be way more. First of all, for the kind of riffs on this record, the pyrotechnic riff on my sample is like understated. Um, and there could be way more of like. Yeah, there could just be every single riff could be this like barnstorming technical achievement or just very impressive on a, you know, either just really elaborate melody or like it almost doesn't like there's no point even talking about the melodies and the riffs because they're just so fucking good. Right. And they they, they whip by they like sort of um, they sort of slither by so quickly that it's just like, yeah, there were a lot of notes and they all made sense in an extremely elegant way. But yeah. like, there could be so much more pyrotechnics on this and they're just so not interested in that on this record. As technical as this music is, one of its most remarkable achievements is its restraint. Yes. You know? um, so speaking of riffing and speaking of trying to catch riffs as they go by, I want to go to the second track of Fool's Errand, just the opening. Um, pay attention to the riffs on this, because I think the, the thing that makes Psychoptics so distinct in the riffing department is that there's tons of internally shifting moods uh, within single riffs. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of sort of hybridized melodic ideas that'll begin in a certain way and then throw you a curveball as they resolve. Any single riff on this record is really worth studying for a guitarist just because these are intervals and sort of like idioms that you're kind of familiar with, but cut apart and rearranged in ways that you've never heard before.
one of the other things that's really cool that you sort of touched on is the the fact that they will have <coughs> excuse me still getting over being sick guys sorry um they'll have these highly technical flourishing riffs but organized into a sort of just like like almost funky groove it's it's fascinating i i've never heard stuff this dense note for note played in such a relaxed sort of like inflective way like i mean that that main sort of thrash riff that it forms the chorus riff of that song you know that with the nice arpeggiated shapes at the end of it um it feels like it should be such an aggressive ripper, but the drummer lays back off of it and lets it play around, which totally recontextualizes the mood. Like, that could be a hyper-aggressive riff, but the context that they presented it in is completely different. Oh, you're talking about the one that's sort of like 4-4 driving downbeat? Like, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, no, that, that's true. It's like a very... Yeah, well, they could be doing it as a one-two thrash beat, which they do at some points on this record, and it's awesome. But even for a down, you could do a really heavy, slayery downbeat thrash beat. I hear what you mean. It's totally cruising. Yeah, and it's there's there's been like it's almost as though Psychoptic makes an effort to hide some of their technicality, like. For instance, something I noticed in a lot of this stuff is like a ton of this record is done in like five four and seven four, but unless you're actively counting, it's gonna breeze right by you. It, it, it mm. feels totally natural. Like these are not riffs that are designed artificially to fit odd time signatures. They feel completely natural within the context of the music, and it's only when you realize that you're headbanging off a measure from where you think you were that you actually realize that's happening. Um, and really, I just, I, I love the way these guys arrange songs from a guitar perspective. I mean, most of what we heard was basically two germinal riff ideas where they're just playing tons and tons of variations and a meta narrative gets constructed out of those variations themselves. Um, there, these, these linking sort of motifs across a song and as you'll get to later, really across the entire album, that provide this thread of continuity that allows the listener to follow no matter how sort of pyrotechnic and crazy the music can get at any individual moment. Yeah, that thrash riff also had like five riffs in it. Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, also like that, the way they start the song cracked us both up because it's like they sync, they do this like sort of uh, like Mastodon-y sort of like uh they settle into this sort of like sinking mastodon riff and then they're like ha, ha, you know just just fuck it up immediately and then pick up on the other side of that <coughs> like with the rest of the oceanic riff that would be a thing there's i don't know if our samples emphasize it but there's a lot of the maybe what you're getting at with the groove in the plane um you know, the sense that these are, you know, the hanging back in the pocket kind of stuff and the, um, and there's like liquidity in the sound. Oh, well, it, they, the covers, the covers, not a coincidence. This is like, yeah. a, this is a water album. You can tell. Yeah. And it's, it's like, like a, a scepter, scepter is an earth album. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, this is a very water album. It's even maybe a Mediterranean water album, you know, it's like, or Australian water album. It's, uh, you know, there, or Tasmanian water. Well, Tasmanian water is probably, uh, probably pretty cold. Um, <laughs> but like there's, you know, there, there's a lot of light in the water. Yeah, it's, I mean. it, it's, um, there is a really unified sort of aesthetic idea. I've like listened to listening to other Psychroptic yeah. records. You get a sense that they've like put a lot of time into the presentation, like the artwork. And there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of like deep theming that goes yeah. on. And we've focused on the I guess the thing I, I it's I just did seven sidetracks at once. But the thing I wanted to highlight now is that. There are, if you liked that sort of oceanic, uh, sort of glistening arpeggio stuff at the beginning, that was a little bit Mastodon-y. They are now, like, there's a lot of stuff like that on the record, um, and um, Enslavement is particularly good. I think, like, that's actually, I wanted to highlight the specific industrial riff forms on Rend Asunder, but as far as industrial-sounding, pummeling mid-tempo songs, Enslavement is the best, it has a great structure and it's like heavily atmospheric, lots of textural riffing. Yeah, um, that that's definitely a highlight off the record. Um, but real quick, I want to go to one a couple tracks later, which is my pick for best on the album. The Prophets Council is fucking lit. It is. <laughs> it, it is like as as a sort of guitar guy. This is one of the coolest tech things that I've heard this year. And again, I want to like really emphasize clarity. Um, There is no moment of question about what is going on at any point in this record. These songs are so articulate riff by riff. Everything is so articulate, um, which really allows you to enjoy. If you're kind of a tech minded guy, all the nuances of what's going on. Um, and the Prophets Council has, I think, the coolest lead work on the record. Let's just listen to it and check out this, like, pointillistic tapping stuff that is, for me, like, the single best moment on the album.
Dude, that's that's. Ugh. And I I love listening to a record like this because I was so into tech death like when I was like really starting to get into death metal like when I was in high school, um, and then I kind of drifted away from it. And it's really only within the last few years that I've kind of gotten back into it. And this like reminds me why, like. There is so much cool stuff you can do with kind of an extended palette of technique. And these guys really do everything they can with it. There is never a moment where the tapping feels wasted or overdone. There is a remarkable amount of restraint and tastefulness in the way they execute it. And it's it sounds very difficult to play. And as a guitarist, it's way harder than it sounds. You know? <laughs> it's... It, it's the amount of, like, perfect sort of, like, tonal control this guy has. And I've seen him pull this stuff off live, so this is not studio trickery. Yeah. You can imagine all the, say, in, in, in the most, that most elaborate sort of chorus riff, you can take those notes and make a very technical Swedish Black Death riff out of them or something. But yeah. this is all pedal point. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, the, it's, the, the thrash like, is never gone. <laughs> You know? Yeah. The the thrash has never gone. Yeah, that's like, so it's like, okay, extremely elaborate, fluid series of notes. A very high level Black Death band could trend that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, or, or whatever. Or even, you know, you play something like that as continuous arpeggios or something and you hold each note longer. But each of those are alternating with like the root note. Mm-hmm. And they're each crisp, as you say, crisply articulated. Um, you yeah, know, it's uh, we were talking about the um, and actually, I don't know, even just the sheer speed at which the notes change. It's like twice as fast as like even like very flashy black metal. It's just even if you can include the fact that he's like. Even if you forget about the alternations to root note, it, it's just the, the changes between... It's so fucking fast. Yeah, um, it's, it's unbelievably fast, unbelievably fluid. And it's uh, and frankly, it's just... It's not the sort of thing you hear in metal. You know? I mean, th- I mean that's like almost like straight-up dream theater shit there. Well, yeah, and so the only other thing that you hear it in metal is like... The basic chord, again, they, I think this is way more elaborate, but the basic chord structure in that chorus riff, and it's very deliberately written as a chorus. They're not afraid of doing that, mm-hmm. and it's a strength on this record. Uh, the chord changes, I told you, 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 we talked about this during the sample, those sound like sort of more, um, uh, the more seriously Gottenberg-influenced metalcore, or like, very technical, uh, very technical melodic death metal like Anata or Arsis. Yeah, I think um, Arsis is a really important reference point here. You know, and Arsis, when we were coming up, they were like one of the hottest things in the world. I forget about them all. Like I just re- like I remember that. I was band actually once I was just listening years. to them a couple weeks ago because I was like, oh, I haven't thought of Arsis in a while. I <laughs> I should listen to that. <laughs> I should listen to that. I'd probably, now that I listen to more techie stuff, I mean, I think for me it was pretty, like, I basically always thought of myself as hating techie stuff, so I didn't even really listen to them when I was getting into it. And now I'm sure I would like it. Oh, yeah. And Anata is just, just like, um, a stone-cold classic. Yeah. I mean, The Conductor's Departure is yeah. still just one of the finest death metal yeah. records no, ever uh, made. Uh, uh, Anata's awesome. Um, but the... Uh, 
But yeah, so it has this sort of gothic arcing grandeur to it that's like the best of that kind of um, high metalcore or <laughs> or mellow death. Um, and um, yeah, it's just really, really... The rhythmic shape you wouldn't... Yeah, like, forget the comparison I made. Like, the rhythmic shape you wouldn't get on a Sacramentum song or something, you know? It's no, yeah, like, it's, just, it's just a little bit too fast and fluid. You know, it's it, because they Sacramentum would want the strain in there, you know? Well, Sacramentum is very, yeah, they, there's a lot of strain, but I mean, the melodies, they move, I think the playing is extremely fluid. I guess I just mean that, like, the chords are held longer, and even when they're diving around and shit, they don't have to, like, this, what this guy does is he's constantly bridging discontinuities in a really fluid way. That was right? one thing I was considering is that what's really interesting is like, like, like trem stream. The Swedish stuff is trem stream and they might hold a note for us. They might hold notes, a few notes for a very short amount of time, but it's all just curving around. And this is just like all over the place. Yeah. There's no, there's no like center to a lot of these riffs. It's just a, mm -hmm. a, a continuous sort of unbroken line. Um, and What's also interesting is like within these riffs themselves, I started to pick up on that on the the previous sample, um, uh, on the Prophet's Council, is the idea that internally these riffs work in interesting ways. Like they'll like reduce or increase in intensity in unexpected ways throughout the contour of the riff, especially the mm -hmm, longer mm -hmm. like seven four ones. It's yeah. it's always keeping you kind of guessing and playing with your expectations, but not in this dissonant way. It just it curves in a very organic way, um, and it's just it, it's fascinating. Like you know, it, you'll you'll have the the flashy opening part go into some textured chords, and you think, okay, we're gonna kick back into the flashy part, but no, you'll have a, like a little thrash closer or something. They're super dynamic internally, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's how they get the. Um, that's how they get the aspect of strain or tension in there. Right. It's just like riffs that will, uh, yeah, riffs that surprise you in that way. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, and also just the rhythmic intensity of all of it, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, in black, in, 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 in flowing, elaborate black metal playing, the rhythmic intensity is coming from the drums and whatever the bassist is. And, and, you know, from the melodic shape of the riff, right? But like, if the guitarist is constantly, if in it, like in this band, right, the guitar is constantly punctuating everything he's doing. Uh, you have the drumming under there, which we haven't really talked about. Uh, the drumming under that chorus part is awesome, right? In some sense, he's playing the tech, he's playing a version of a rock beat, but it's filled in in such inventive ways. Yeah, um, there, there's something wonderful about the uh, the interplay. You can imagine that these records are sort of designed from the ground up, probably like guitarist and drummer just sitting together for a really long time, maybe even before it gets to any of the other members. Yeah, um, well, and they're brothers, right? So, oh, are they? I had no idea. I well, I remembered that when I was just tooling around on Metal Archives, but oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, and that's why they've. I think that's why this band has a very stable identity and level of quality uh you know yeah the drummers have been or yeah the, the the brothers have been at it since 99 and so that's just you know that's the core of the band yeah yeah um 
Uh, it's it's kind of like defeated sanity that way. I mean, obviously there were more lineup changes, but you know, for a minute it was just father and son, right? Mm-hmm. And they set the sound. Um, but yeah, so uh, you got anything else for that one? Now let's uh, let's get to your last one. So yeah, I mean, it's funny, right? Oh yeah, one one more thing about the drumming. Like, well, I guess we're gonna get some blast beats here, but uh, are these? Well, maybe they're not, but to me, it would seem like I would assume these drums are triggered. Right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, well, when it's in the studio, I, I assume this is the kind of thing that got like fully sample replaced, probably like a very expensive production. So uh, I'll listen yeah. a little closer this time and see if I can pick yeah. it out, though. But like the thing that I heard is like this is one of those records where you like want the drums to be triggered. It's part of the sound, and what you can often hear is this: like you'll hear this. You'll hear him just activate this rolling double bass or blast beat and like just clipping it in these really precise ways. If they're not triggered, this guy is just like, I mean, well, he's obviously a monstrous player, right? But if he's (laughs) producing that level of regularity without triggers, that's like terrifying. Yeah. Um, And the playing, that's I guess what I mean is that the drumming, although it's really dynamic, when he's hitting blasts, there's a terrifying regularity to it. And then there's, you'll hear this just moment where he's, uh, it, it's, it, it, it almost feels like if, if it's like triggers, it feels like the cybernetic thing. Like you hear the, just the mecha blast. And then there's this like command from the drummer that punctuates <laughs> it in some way. Um, and it is, uh, it's very cool. And uh, one of the other sort of subtly industrial aspects of this album yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, here's one of the best also. Um, so we're going to the last track, Exodus. Here, Exitus. Exodus, but I guess if you say it out loud, it sounds like Exodus. Oh, well, of course, it's the same fucking word. Um, uh, the best vocal moments, right, I've said are like when they're just like let one vocalist come to the front and they're just ripping on a traditional thrash riff. Um as far as really aggressive songs, so many I want to mention. Ashes of Our Empire rips. Um, but uh, So you're going to get some good ripping stuff and vocal stuff, and then you're going to get the gigantic finale riff and a bit of a black metal part.
Yeah, it's the it's the the part they've been threatening the whole album. Yeah. So um so first I guess just about the the plane, right? We've already talked a lot about that, but like so this is this is a part where melodically we actually are getting something a lot like a Sacramentum riff. Mm-hmm. Um the chords themselves are powerful, and those are being, you know, they're just these massive stacks of keys and choirs hitting the chords, right? You could very easily write a pretty sick trem riff just following the chords. Um, instead, of course, he's doing the tapping thing, and he's playing completely inside them and also inside the vocals, right? Again, we've got like coordinated vocals and guitar. This is a fully written chorus. He's playing around the vocals in this crazy way. And instead of just tapping for the whole time, he's uh, he's articulating it at parts, right? He's just like, he's articulating single notes and just doing these slides and bends that just make it sigh and soar. It's... This part is just really kills me, you know. It's yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, the whole like, the whole record is reaching <clears throat> to this point. I mean, every mm-hmm. every song individually forms a sub narrative, but I mean, I I don't know if this is necessarily a concept record. It feels like it though, you know. It, yeah. So this is so we can get more more into that. Like, there are actually a bunch of interrelated motifs on this record. Uh, and I only really figured it. I thought this record would be so easy to sample. I'm like, okay, yeah, pick the part with a big riff, right? Um, you know, <laughs> but they're all big riffs. All, exa- well, that's the, yeah, I thought, oh, right, you know, yeah, I could just pick some, you know. Exactly. Like, once you start looking at it, it's like, I, well, I thought the fact that they're all big riffs would make it easy. And instead you just start picking out all of this significant detail and significant structure, more important, uh, and significant differences between the songs. Like, I've been mentioning the songs we haven't even sampled, right? Uh, and with this melody here, um, this is the... They've been playing versions of that chorus for the entire record. Um... Maybe on every single song, maybe not on like Ashes of Our Empire and like something like that. I think that might be the, one of the only ones. There are just a couple, and maybe this Shadowed World, there are a couple rippers that don't have this sort of big chorus thing. But on almost all of them, there's a blast beat chorus or sort of rolling graceful chorus that piles in with keys. And it's sort of like the the big grandiose emperor symphonic thing but very stripped down in terms of the cording or like very rhythmically deliberate, I guess, rather. Like, it's not like a symphonic riff. It's big stacked symphonic chords so that the guitarist can do shit over it. Um, And every time you get this earlier on the record, it'd be fewer chords or it'd be shorter and every time they'd do it, they'd bend it. Uh, and they'd move the chords in like a strange or tense direction. Sometimes almost right out of the gate, sometimes much, sometimes right only at the very end of it. You get this kind of pseudo-resolution where it just goes really deliberately scronks at the end. 
I think they do that on enslavement. Uh, but, you know, like, uh, you know, some people just play a riff that resolves. Here, they've been playing various versions of this fully developed theme throughout the record, and finally, at the end, they play the version of it that resolves.